welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, welcome. What you need to know is that this podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your fundamentals, but also in bite-sized segments of time. And today we're going to step away a little bit from the trend we've been doing, which has been more of like tissue healing timeframes and the spine and also the nerves. But today we're going to go about as distal as possible that we can and talk about the foot. Specifically today, we're going to talk about the Liz Frank joint, how it can get injured, and then what do we even do about it? And you may be wondering, okay, why are we jumping straight to the foot? Well, one, because I felt like it. And two, because there's a lot of different things that can go wrong with the ankle and foot beyond like an ankle sprain or Achilles tendonitis. And so we're going to spend a little time talking about it here on this podcast. What we do know about this is that injuries to the Liz Frank joint are not very common. It might be like 0.2%, but in 20% of the cases, they're either not diagnosed or not caught until later on meaning we miss them quite a bit. And so what I want to talk about is just more of, hey, if you're suspecting something strange with this joint, something you notice in your patient, or maybe you're covering an event and someone injured their foot, for you to be able to quickly assess, hey, is something okay? Maybe I should encourage them to get further further a look into. So when we're talking about what the Liz Frank joint is, essentially a joint is made up of bones and ligaments, right? So the bones that make it up are the three cuneiform bones and the cuboid bone proximally, and then the five metatarsal bases that are distally linked by capsular ligamentous structures. And in this circumstance, the second metatarsal base is kind of like the keystone in this joint. Now, midfoot anatomy is divided into medial, middle, and lateral column. The medial is just basically the articulation between the first metatarsal and the medial cuneiform. The middle is the second and third metatarsals and where they articulate with the middle and lateral cuneiforms. And the lateral are going to be the fourth and fifth metatarsals and they articulate with the cuboid, which makes sense. The lateral column is going to be the lateral aspect of the foot, right? Now, the neat thing about the middle and medial column is they tend to have more rigidity to allow the foot to even just function as a lever arm during normal gait. But the lateral column tends to have a little bit more mobility that allows us to be able to adapt to uneven ground. So generally, it's thought that instability in the lateral column is a little bit better tolerated if it is unstable in comparison to the middle and medial columns. Those are the bones, right? The cuneiforms, cuboid, and metatarsals. Now, in terms of the ligaments, the main stabilizing structure is the Liz Frank ligament, which makes sense. And it's kind of like a Y-shaped interosseous ligament that is a plantar structure that basically extends from the lateral aspect of the medial cuneiform to the medial aspect of the second base. And so if we disrupt this, that can pretty well affect the stability of the medial and middle columns of the foot. And you also have some thin dorsal ligaments that connect the second, third, fourth, and fifth. Um, there's not really an intermetatarsal ligament between the first and second bases, but there's a lot of intermetatarsal interosseous ligaments. Okay, so we've got the bones, we've got the joints. 
Now, you might be wondering, how does this even get injured in the first place? And so we'll see this a lot in two overall categories. One's direct trauma and one's indirect trauma. Okay. So a lot of times we'll see with direct trauma, the most two common mechanisms are falls from height and then road traffic accidents. And this could be like a direct crush or some sort of impact to the midfoot that just basically results in fractures and dislocations of the tarsometatarsal joints. Okay, so essentially something traumatic is just is going to cause a disruption somewhere if it's a high enough disruption, right? Now, indirect trauma is actually going to be a lot more common and these can be kind of tricky to to catch because they vary so much from mild subluxations to pretty severe fracture dislocations. So someone might have injured it by some like plantar word bending of the metatarsals with a rotational stress. There might have been an abduction injury where the forefoot was just suddenly adducted relative to a fixed hind foot, aka picture someone who falls from a horse while their foot stays behind in the stirrup. Um, and the, the patient themselves might have just felt or heard a pop in the midfoot that hurt when they put weight bearing on it, and then eventually it became less painful. So then the question begs to differ, what do we even do about this? So for the obvious ones, you know, we're, they're going to get attention, right? If it's a crush injury, that high velocity incident, we'll, we'll probably do some imaging or, or some sort of solution there, right? The less obvious ones, you they're typically going to complain of pain with weight-bearing activities. If they don't have pain in weight-bearing, it probably means it's very unlikely that they have an unstable as frank injury. The patient might have also complained of swelling in their midfoot, and they'll have some plantar ecchymosis that can be indicative of soft tissue disruption. So basically bruising on the bottom of their foot in the middle of their foot. So in terms of imaging, they'll probably get a radiograph first and typically they might get like an anterior posterior, an internal oblique or a lateral view and or because one view is no view, right? We need to get multiple views of x-rays, but the overall sensitivity of these views I've seen in research is like 84.4%. So some can get lost. If we still are suspicious of, hey, something seems wrong in the midfoot and the x-rays don't really indicate anything, a patient can go on to get like a CT, for, which is good for basically seeing if they have a non-displaced fracture or just like minimal osseous subluxation, or an MRI to see if there's any ligamentous abnormality. And there was another study that showed that with MRIs, they have a 90% sensitivity for assessment of Lisfranc joint stability when they were compared to like intraoperative assessment. So keep in mind that sensitivity means we're really good at ruling things out, right? Now, if we're trying to assess this patient, there, there's some things that we can take a look at clinically or on the field or, or wherever you are, Right. So they might have pain with passive abduction and pronation of the forefoot if you're also keeping their hind foot fixed in the other hand. They're probably going to be tender to palpation on the tarsometatarsal joints. Um, you can do a piano key test where you move the head of the affected metatarsal while firmly holding the midfoot and the hind foot in order to just 
basically try and isolate what tarsometatarsal joint is affected. And then there's also um, another test that you can do to see if there's an increase in the distance between the hallux and the second finger, which would be a positive gap, that tells you if there's an intercuneiform instability. The patient might have some altered sensitivity in the back of their first intermetatarsal space, and that's because it's not uncommon for there to be some post-traumatic neuropathy of the medial terminal branch of the deep peroneal nerve which is totally a mouthful in itself, but you can see if there's like a decrease in their two-point discrimination. Now, the next question is, okay, we're suspicious of this. Maybe they've had some imaging. Maybe they don't. What do we do with these patients? So with these patients, they can go a non-operative route or an operative route. If it's non-operative, it's really more so better for like a Lisfranc ligament sprain it probably should be non-displaced and stable, like maybe like a stage one. And they're probably going to be put in like a below the knee cast, non-weight bearing for six weeks, potentially. And then if they're still having pain when they come out of that, they might do like a walking boot for another four weeks. Now, if this patient has had more than a two millimeter displacement, that injury is going to be considered unstable. And... Typically, for an unstable area, joint, whatever, you're going to get a surgery for it, right? Especially with the foot, we need to put our weight on it, right? And so they might get an ORF. There's several other surgical techniques out there. I'm not really going to go over that because I'm not a surgeon. And I think it's going to depend as well on the patient themselves and surgeon preference. But something that will probably need to be considered if it was due to a high energy injury, you might need to be aware of possible compartment syndrome. Okay. Now patients who tend to have these injuries, um, it's more common in men in their thirties, if they're athletes and maybe it's like a, an indirect trauma or like low load incident, it might be from like sports such as soccer or gymnastics or running, but hopefully that gives you some food for thought on, you know, what exactly is going on in that portion of the foot. What do we do about it? And maybe how can we get these patients help sooner rather than later so that they're able to restore their function, go back to their ADLs, their sports, their whatever it is that they want to do. So what you should know by now is what the Lisfranc joint is made up of how it can get injured, and some things that we can do to assess for if it is injured or not, as well as what now. So that's it for today, guys. Um, if you have any questions, just reach out at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at ptsnacks. And um, if you're not following the show already, just go ahead and follow you, follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. But I'm going to keep it to that. If you guys need any CEUs, be sure and check out the link below for MedBridge. They have like thousands of continuing education credits and webinars and even a like a home exercise app for patients if you are treating patients on your own. But you can use the promo code PT Snacks Podcast for $175 off an entire year subscription for that. So if you need to renew your license, go ahead and hit that up and see if it works for you. All right, guys. Until next week.